So we are in the middle of this amazing series, man. I've been having so much fun with this series. If you remember what we did is we, we talked about what it means to listen to God and we went through different ways in which you can listen and hear from God. And then we came into the summer and we switched to people that either heard from God and how we can learn from them or how can we hear from God through this person's life. Over the last three weeks, it's been great. I've been having so much fun uh, talking about the, the three different uh, people. Tamar, I know that no, you didn't get this message in here because they were afraid to give the message. But Tamar, uh, who was a woman who dressed like a prostitute so that her father-in-law would sleep with her. That's right. Um, yeah, whoa, indeed. Uh, and then, and then uh, Rahab was the next week. A woman who was, let's face it, she was the Dolly Parton of the chicken ranch. That's funnier that even the sanctuary died laughing on that joke. The Dolly Parton of the chicken, she was a madam. She ran a house of ill repute in the city of Jericho. And because of her actions, um, the, the people of Israel were able to move in and take over Jericho. Um, and then a little scrawny kid who everyone cast aside is just someone who is able to bring his big brother's food. This guy, it was this guy who God would anoint as king. These three people who on the surface seem very different. You, you go from one end of, of Tamar and then Rahab, you're like, whoa, and then into King David. But if you know the stories of Tamar and Rahab, you know that those two people are responsible for David's life. That if it weren't for them having lived and done what they did, David would not have existed. If David did not exist, our Messiah would not either, because we know that our Messiah comes from the line of David. If you look in Matthew in the genealogy, you see both Tamar and Rahab's names listed in the genealogy. What we can learn from those three people is that God uses people that we wouldn't necessarily. God works in ways that we don't always understand. Because quite honestly, when, when we put our mind to it and when we want to feel like we know what's going on, who do we look to? Ourselves. Right? Not me. I mean, everybody point the finger at themselves. Yeah, we, we look to ourselves. We're so self-focused in our world. We're so me-centric. We are, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, wherever the wind may blow, we're going to take our talents somewhere else. Right? LeBron James reference? Nobody? Only Debbie Chesney got it. Thank you. Because it's all about him. Where can I help? What is it about me? We're so focused on ourselves. And, and when we look at other people, we judge them against who we are or who we think we are. And we put them in categories. So often, we pursue things only for our own benefit. We pursue um, wealth. We pursue, pursue career. We pursue relationships. We pursue knowledge only for ourselves, for our own gain. If you want to make it to, in this world, you've got to pick up your bootstraps, pull them up, and go. It's the American way, right? Do it on your own. If you can't do it, go back to your own country. And yet, what we see in Tamar and Rahab and David, what we see in who we will talk about King Solomon today, is that when we pursue things that way, 
It's empty. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, Solomon, the author, says this. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Everything under the sun is meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be righted. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I worked hard to distinguish wisdom from foolishness. But now I realize that even this was like chasing the wind. For the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. The increase knowledge, to increase knowledge only increases sorrow. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now in this, you have this, the opening of this book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of this lighter-hearted book if you get into it. And it's not here, though. He's like in a bummer mood, right? Total downer, King Solomon. You're the, one of the richest men who has ever lived, period. You're the wisest person who has ever walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. And you're like, it's just meaningless, all of it. If you continue to read here, he talks about um, going after wealth. And he's like, I've had everything, nothing have I withheld from myself. And yet it was nothing. See, what I think is going on here is, because if you remember when, when Solomon becomes anointed as king, he asks God, God, fill me with wisdom so that I may lead your people. And God goes, okay. Boom. And he's the most wise man who has ever lived. But the thing about it is, is maybe the reason he wanted to be wise and the reason he was pursuing all of this wisdom was only for himself. Was so that at the end of the day, he could say, I am the smartest. I am the wisest of them all. I am the greatest who has ever lived. I, I Ah, when you pursue those things solely for yourself, he says, it's just like chasing the wind. It's meaningless. And yet, he was the wisest person after all. Daryl pointed this out, excuse me, Dr. Daryl pointed this out in pastor's meeting on Tuesday. He's like, look, there's got to be something to listening to this guy because he was out, you know, second to Jesus and the wisest person who has ever walked. So there's got to be something. And he points to two Psalms that were written by Solomon. One of them is Psalm 127. And it says this. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Don't you see that children are God's best gift, the fruit of the womb, his generous legacy? Like a warrior's fist full of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, How blessed are you, parents, with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. 
There's a pilgrim psalm, Psalm 1. 27. Now, in this beautiful psalm, this is the message translation, which I had Stacy put up there because I think it is just awesome. But in this, I think Solomon gets it. I pursued wisdom. I pursued wealth. I pursued all of these things. Nothing did I withhold myself. But then, oh, it's not what I have for me. It's what I give. Because that's what that's saying. The legacy, the, the most important thing that I can do is build into my sons and daughters a knowledge, a heart for God. And nobody can touch you. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you know. If you are pouring in what God has revealed to you into your sons and your daughters, then you understand what it means to be a disciple. Because if you look at the way that Jesus lived, Jesus looked at his sons and his daughters. And he said, this is everything that I know and all that I have. Here it is. Understand what it means to love God and to be loved by God. I give you everything. And if that is what our rabbi did, then we, as we are striving to be more like him, should be doing the same. And listen, I'm not talking biological here. I'm not talking to your biological sons and your daughters. Yes, that is right and true, and that is something if you have children, you should be doing. But Jesus didn't have kids that way. He had us. He had his disciples. He had those that came up underneath him and were following in the dust of the rabbi. And they would stick to him like glue so that they would understand what it meant to be a son, a daughter of God. We see the life that Solomon led. You know, at one point in Ecclesiastes, he goes, it's all worth it, man. You should just eat, drink, and be merry, right? Let's get an amen on that one. And then in Psalm 127, he says naps are a gift from God. Right? Told you. My wife and I had this theological discussion just the other day. I'm like, naps, I have a spiritual gift of napping. It's like this liturgical practice that's lost on our society. We should regain the nap. Um, sorry, that's everything I learned in kindergarten is about to come out of me. So, uh, but this is what he's saying. Is we, we, focus our, we focus ourselves on the wrong things. Knowledge is great. Absolutely. But if you don't have the heart behind it, it's worthless. When I was in seminary, they decided that they wanted to make me a scholar. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know me very well, apparently. Like, that's what they were training me to be. Their intent was for me to finish seminary, to finish my Master's of Divinity, and then to quickly go on to get a Ph.D. or a D-man, a Doctor of Ministry. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's great, but what do I do when... When I have to walk into a hospital and they're pulling life support on a woman and her mother is in the room with me. Knowing about systematic theology doesn't mean a thing. Knowing Hebrew, knowing Greek, who cares? What do I say to that mom? About three years into my ministry, I had to do that. 
I had to go into a hospital and sit with the mother as we unplugged her daughter from life support. Knowledge doesn't mean a thing at that point. So many times I have found myself in situations having conversations with people where, where the things that I learned in seminary are meaningless. It was $85,000 that I just threw into the wind. Whee! I get TCU letters now, alumni letters. Oh, that's great for me. Because when, when I show them my diploma, look, I'm a master of divinity. Great, that doesn't help my marriage. So often we have this idea that if I just know more, if I just know more, if I just study and dig deeper and know more and have more knowledge, I'll be a better disciple. Yeah, wisdom is great. John Wesley says that it's time that we, we reunite these two lost friends of wisdom and piety. And what he meant by piety was a holiness, was this charity, was this heart. That if you have, have wisdom without that, it's nothing I think what I learned from Solomon is that, yes, wisdom is great. Wisdom is good. John Wesley was an intense reader and just devoured things and learned so much. C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, was an amazing reader and just read so much and had this mind that is incredible. David Manitsky, Dr. Dave down the hall, he has a photographic memory of which I can only go, oh, if only, that he can just read something and he knows it. And he has this amazing knowledge and can just bring it from the back parts of his mind. And he's like, oh, yes, in the third century, so-and-so said this. I'm like, what? was on TV last night, you know. Um, But those three men also had the other side of it. I think what Solomon is pointing out to us is this. Yeah, wisdom is great and you can pursue all of these things. But really what it amounts to is this heart side of things. What you pour into others, because that is what we learn from our Savior. That is what we learn from Jesus. He knew a lot. Yes, clearly he studied. Clearly he was an intelligent person and had a lot of wisdom. Otherwise, he could not have hang out, hung out in the temple and been going back and forth toe-to-toe with the rabbis, as we know he did at age 12. He had to have had the skill. He had to have had the knowledge. But he didn't rest on it. He poured out his love into his sons and daughters, into his disciples, into those people who followed him. We, too, need to stop pursuing things for our own interest, whatever it is. If it's knowledge, as Solomon did, or wealth, as Solomon did. Whatever it is, if we're pursuing it for ourselves, it's a bad pursuit. If we're doing it so that we can give glory to God, if we're doing it so that we might pour out into our sons and our daughters, our quiver full of arrows, what blessed lives we will lead. The worship team's coming up right now. And we are going to um, transition into the family meeting. I'm going to close this with a prayer and a benediction as they slowly 
come forward. Just give me a beat, AJ. Come on, let's get him up here. Right there, right there. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this time of word. We pray, Lord, that those things you desire for us to hold on to, those words, those feelings, that information, that it would be locked into who we are. That we might know these things, not so that we might know them and say, look what I know, but so that we might give them back. So, so that we might look to our sons and daughters. We might pour into them the love that you have poured into us. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Now, may the Lord be with you and make his face to shine upon you. Lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. Peace.